introduce him uh introduce himself to the show just just so you get a a feel of exactly uh the mind that we're interviewing today so dr hoda can you can you tell the listeners who you are uh truma thanks so much for having me on um and yes i'd be happy to um and just to give you uh i, I think it's very entertaining that there are two syed hodas in new york <laughs> who are pathologists. So you're not, <laughs> you're not the first or the last to get us um, confused. confused yep. and, and so I'll try to not talk about his life um, <laughs> and try to focus on, on mine. Right, because I was going to talk about his life, which is <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so I am a, I'm a physician uh, here at, uh, in New York City at NYU, and I am an associate professor of uh, medicine here, as well as um, uh, a director of bone and soft tissue pathology and a director of surgical pathology at the NYU Orthopedic Hospital. Um, and I am more than all of those things. I am a father and a person and somebody who um, really loves to talk to people like you about um, cultural issues in medicine and in life and in society. So I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Um, so uh, I almost feel like, I feel like we're just going to go a little freeform today. You know, I have a bunch of questions, but we should just go freeform. So it's, maybe we should just start with that. I like the way you sort of framed who you are, because you started with um, more than, you know, I guess more than your, your pathology, your distinction as a pathologist, as a physician, you know, you being, you know, a father, all these things. I guess, why do you, um, why do you say it like that? And in my uh, evaluation of, you know, we we tell we all tend to do this where we look back on our lives and see where we are and where we progress to. 
in the last, um, I'd say, 10 years or so, what's became really clear to me is that as I went through the process of becoming a physician and going through med school and doing training and becoming an attending, um, what became clear to me, Chuma, was that the things, I was a person far before I was any of this in a career. So, um, you know, when I was 12, when I was 17, when I was 22, I was living a life of a person before any of the titles, before any of the degrees, before any of the income, before any of those things, the more the more fundamental basis of who we are is far longer and deeper than our education takes us. So it's become more and more clear to me that that is really the core essence of what differentiates each one of us in a work setting, but it's also the core of what differentiates us in outside of work and in everything else. And and so when you bring both of those together, for me, that's far more important to, to know where our, you know, if the expression like having roots are, we all have roots in different places and our roots are really thick and big in our pre-career living and our developmental stuff and our interests in our lives and our people around us. So I feel that that's a priority and that, that for me is the priority. Yeah. Now, do you, okay, and that, I'm just running here, so, uh, do you feel like, how do I say this, do you feel like the things you choose to do professionally, you know, do they help better define who you are as a person, or do they sort of make things more opaque, you know, do they sort of distort who you are as an individual? It's such a good question, because um, at some point you would try to consider if the choices you made to become who you are were made because of those things Mm -hmm. or are they, you know, a result, you know, are they, are they because of the, the, the prior past that you have, or is it that they are becoming your new present, you know, like one causing the other. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's very interesting that the choices people make, um, I guess would deviate about a couple of factors. One is somebody making their own choices and did they choose their own route to get to where somebody is or were they impacted by socioeconomic status, by social status, by, you know, having a different role in society? Was that just a dream of theirs? Was that, you know, there are so many factors that go into this. But but to address your question on one thing, I would want to say that I think in our profession, Chuba, in medicine, Medicine has a controlling aspect to its culture. It mm. attempts to take a big part of your mind and energy and existence as a person and try to turn it into a all-encompassing, you know, I was told this in med school, I always say this whenever I talk to people, I was told this multiple times in med school that you are, by various professors, that you are a physician even when you're walking down the street, when you're going mm. to the grocery store, when you when you wake up in the morning, you know, and I can't stand this idea. I think it's so imposing to say that to somebody. And part of um, part of my interpretation of answering your question is how to heart did you take that idea that, that you are, are you a physician when you're walking in to go buy a pack of cookies at the corner store? Or are you just Chuma? You know, and, mm-hmm. and there is a difference. There, there really is a difference because the way you talk, the way we interact, the way we go about our 
value in that little shop buying a pack of biscuits may differ in the way that you see yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Like, um, so I am. Uh, so yeah. So I'm a. I'm a. I'm a gastroenterology fellow at oh, Emory okay. University, and then. Uh, so last month I had my research month. Uh, for those people who don't understand that, basically, instead of working, you know, twelve hours a day in a hospital every day, I get to crunch numbers slash. Right, do do and like teach people and uh, you know do do more data stuff, and um, and yesterday was my first day back on clinicals after that month of research, and I was uh, man, it just hits you like a ton of bricks, because um, right. it's in you just forget how much constant focus you need in order to do your job on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, like it's like a nonstop. Like you really, you can't like look at anything else. You can't talk. It's just like it yeah. just feels like yeah, you're just being grinded um, sometimes when you're in the hospital. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious. So I I did want to ask you just a little bit about um, COVID. I mean, this this podcast was sort of birth out of out of COVID nineteen and and kind of what it was doing to my mental psyche. Um, I'm curious for you. I guess number one. Um, this is maybe just take you back down memory lane. When did you first realize that COVID-19 was real? You know, or like when was that moment that, cause I feel like, you know, it was a thing that we heard about, you know, for so long. Um, but I guess I'm just curious for you. Like when, when did it, when did it feel real to you? <laughs> so this is, this is a bit of a story. Um, <laughs> so I, my birthday is on a leap day. Uh, oh, really? So, so yeah, I was born on February 29th on a leap day. Um, and in in um, 2020 was my 11th birthday. Right. Sounds like you were one of those really young people. <laughs> <laughs> and on leap day, this was March. This is like, so before March, February 29th. On leap day, I had a raging conjunctivitis, like on oh. leap day. Like, I've never had conjunctivitis in my life, ever. And hmm. I had, like, a crazy conjunctivitis. Um, and I remember we went to my kids, you know, my kid was five then or four, and we went to, like, a birthday party thing, and then, um, you know, they were like, you know, they were like, oh, we got to celebrate your birthday. I felt, like, horrible that day. <laughs> um, and I went to see an ophthalmologist the next day, and it was March 1st. And that that was when, like, we were hearing about COVID on the news and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we were hearing about it in China. But it was a thing of China's. It wasn't, right. like, what's in ours. Right, right. So that night I had, like, chills and a fever. And so I went to the ophthalmologist. That we didn't even have tests then, right? We didn't have anything. So I went to the ophthalmologist. And I was like, could this be coronavirus? Because, you know, like, I'm having chills and stuff. And he's like, have you traveled to China? And I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, no, then it's no worry. It's not coronavirus. <laughs> wow. So I'm pretty sure I had coronavirus because it lasted a good 10 days. I had chills. I had fevers. I had all sorts of stuff. Um, wow. But nobody knew anything then, you know, and nobody, like, I told people, and they're like, oh, probably not. You didn't go to Italy or China. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then that was like the only, I love how that was like, 
that used to be like the barometer test, you know, like, yeah. have you been to these highly endemic places? Oh, no. Okay, no. fine. Just keep going. Yeah, he was yeah, so that's... dismissive. He's like, no, no, no. If you haven't traveled to those two countries, no way. Right, right. Even like, though. Wow. Okay. <laughs> two weeks yeah. later, Chuma, everything changed. <laughs> right, We're right. Out. The... <laughs> They're like, little did we know it had been spreading in like, yeah. you know, Seattle or whatnot for, for weeks. So that, yeah, the lockdown happened and then, you know, the ORs closed here and, you know, pathology, my, I do like sarcomas and rare tumors and stuff and those patients mm-hmm. were not coming in anymore. And that's when I knew that we were in the thick of, you know, New York City basically came to a halt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's when it happened. And, 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 you know, nobody was coming in anymore. And then I, I did a whole thing where I switched roles and did this thing for ICU to talking to families and things. So I did that for two or three months. Um, yeah. Didn't do any can, pathology at all. Can you, what, what was that thing? I kind of, uh, so, now you yeah, piqued my interest. With, um, uh, the head of hospitalists, they were super overwhelmed in the first peak of New York City COVID. Um, and so the hospitalists couldn't make calls to the, the families weren't ar- allowed in, right? To the right. hospitals back then. Right. So the families were getting zero like notifications during the day and they couldn't come in and it was very helpless for them. And the hospitalists were way overwhelmed and the ICU people were way overwhelmed. So I worked with the head of hospitalists to create, um, a team of people who would around in the ICUs and then call the families like two or three times a day to give wow. them updates about what's going oh, on. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was very heavy. It was like really right. heavy work. Like heavy emotionally. Not yeah. so much that I was standing in the ICU changing the vent settings, but it was like heavy talking to these super sad, you know, family members who are scared, senseless, and you're trying to give them a gap of like what's going on, like fill the gap. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was really affecting for me, you know, and, and you know, you're a gastroenterology, but I, you know, for pathologists, like most of us don't really see patients day to day or talk to their families. Yeah, so yeah. It was very heavy for me. Um, and there were 30 pathologists we got working on. Like I was heading this team. Um, there were radiologists too, radiologists, derm- all of the, the people that you don't associate. <laughs> the uh, dungeon people. Yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, dermatologists. Pathologists, radiologists were the three main ones that I remember. So, Can I add, yeah. why, like, um, I guess what, why did you decide to do this? Well, yeah. this actually started because I had a nightmare. Um, you know, I sleep. I'm a very strange sleeper, you know, like for 30 years I've slept five hours a day, but I sleep instantly and I wake up instantly. So hmm. I've got like a really strange sleep apparatus in my head. Okay. Um, and I couldn't sleep that the night, um, you know, one of the nights like around lockdown time. And I actually came in and wrote a, a letter to the ICU people saying I'm volunteering to come to the ICU. So I actually wanted to go to the ICU yeah. or to the ER, whatever they needed me. I was like, I'm, I'm in. I'll, I'll just do a primer on you know, vent, vent stuff, pulmonary right. function, and, and just help out whatever I can. I never heard back from them. So in that meantime, I started uh, finding out about the need that hospitalists had. So that's how I got involved with the hospitalist stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's um, wow, that's that. I, I I feel like there's not many folks who are. I always thought that people went into pathology and radiology because they didn't want to talk to patients. Um, <laughs> it's so. a it's a you know I gotta say that that's a misperception probably. Um, yeah. I I do think that there is a good percentage of 
of, of pathologists and radiologists who didn't want to see patients. Mm-hmm. There's people like me who actually, I thought it was probably my best skill in rotations was to talk to, to people and patients. And it was a, a little bit of a shame that I would lose that, but I don't really lose it because what we do, Chuma, is we end up talking to surgeons and nurses right. and NPs and, you know, yeah. you end up talking to the medical people more. Yeah. Less the patient. So you're still talking to people. It's just not the different population. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, different kind of um, issues. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We won't, don't even, don't do it. Do not, we're not, we're not going there. I'm not, I'm not taking the bait. It's Um, a light joke. It's a light joke. It's not meant to be taken deeply. I mean, we could spend time there, but we're not going to. Okay, so, um, okay, question for you. Um, I guess we talked about, you know, how our personhood uh, sort of is at the core, I think, of what we decide to do, but it's really ultimately more important than, I I think, our our professional life. Um, What outside of your, you know, surgical pathology life excites you? Oh, this is a this is a problem because I have so many, I am one of those people. I don't know if you're like this. I, I think you might actually be from what I, from what I gather, um, you know, but I, I have so many things to it. Yeah. And I think this is, this is another part of this um, thought process that had to make sense to me. And over time it has. Um, so the, the mantra I keep telling myself is that medicine has joined my life. It has not replaced a part of my life. Mm. And I think this is the problem I see in med students and in residents and in, you know, all sorts of, all you know, even attendings is that they, te- they seem to think that, okay, now 40% of me is devoted to medicine. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think this kind of ratio thing is not, you know, the whole, the whole premise of the way people present this, like we all know the term work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like pretending like there's some kind of a scale. It's like work, life, work, life. And, and, once, you really get them, like, and yeah. once you get them in balance, right. then, then your life will be perfect. You know, right. like that's, that's the dream. Right. I mean, that's a crazy thought. I, I, I feel like this is rooted in some 1800s productivity manual to like teach people <laughs> about work-life balance. When you're at work, you work hard. When you go home, you live life hard. I'm not sure that that's, you know, <laughs> the way that I want to live. Right, right, um, right, right, right. Fa- You know, factory factory workers in the old days and, and, you know, laborers, they were fed this kind of stuff about productivity, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what's going to make you more productive? Uh, you know, like learning about, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what we have in medical culture is I feel adapted from these old rules of productivity, yeah. which I, I think is very old-fashioned. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, I feel that I added medicine. I didn't even answer your question. Actually, I've gone away. <laughs> I don't even know where I am now. <laughs> you asked I mean, me I, what I'm into, right? That is true. I asked, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. What exci- I mean, I we could jump into, you know, this whole mantra of, you know, how your worth is so tied to productivity. I mean, that that is a – I did have that written down even before we started talking. Yeah. Right? Cause, it's crazy, um, you know? Yeah. Okay, let me answer. I don't want to be one of those people who like derails every conversation. Okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm that person, so we can't both be that person. We'll get nowhere. <laughs> um, and I would love to know yours too. So, but um, oh, 
okay, okay. But my, I would say the center of my life, you know, aside from the obvious things like the people and, you know, kids and stuff, um, the center of my life has always been music. So most mm -hmm. of my life revolves around music. And um, I do a ton of photography and the photography revolves. It. I mean, I've been on photograph chats uh, discussing this, but photography for me is all about sound. Um, not the visual. So I know that this is a difficult concept, um, but it was the truth that I, I was once on a chat with a, a really admired uh, photographer that I, I've always admired. Um, and he asked me that question and I, he said, what is your photography based around? And I thought, I, I said, sound. Because for me, there's a sound to everything. So when I see a photo, I see a sound. I hear, I mean, I hear a sound. Um, there's some sort of an atmosphere going on. Um, and I think that is also rooted in my appreciation of my specialty in medicine because, you know, pathology is a very visual profession right. as well. And mm -hmm. the, two, the two specialties I was between was radiology and pathology. So I was in the visual realm, but audio and visual sensory uh, kind of do go hand in hand. Um, you know, like for people who are, for example, visually impaired, they're very acute. Um, uh, you know, their auditory skills are very acute. For people right. who are, have auditory impairment, then their visual uh, stimulation is very acute. So I think there is a, a huge connection here between visual and audio. Um, it's so I, I it's find that really interesting. So I was um, okay. People who don't know, uh, the Dr. Hoda runs an incredible Twitter page. Um, it I it's always I, it's like a mix of. I don't know, I guess it really is just you, you know, it's just like, it's like some photography, it's some writing, There, I think it's really cool, but you recently had a, uh, there was a photo you had of, you know, I think it was like the rain in New York City oh, yeah. or something, and um, it, I think it finally clicked for me, you saying this sound, or like photography being based in sound, because I feel like when I see that image, you know, I, I almost, I almost think about New York and like you know people honking their horn and like rain like you know like you know pattering the ground. I, I feel like I almost hear that when I actually see that when I think about that photograph. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's totally. You know, you know that you know that weird kind of hissing that happens. Like if you're just standing in the rain somewhere, there's the sound of rain, yeah. but there's yeah. also this like distant sound of rain, which almost sounds like a hiss. Yeah. Like right, yeah. You know, like this watery. Yeah. Like a waterfall almost. Yeah. But it's not a waterfall. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when I look at that photo, that's what I, that's I have. This kind of weird hissy drone going on and, a, yeah. you know, the pitter-patter sounds and... Yeah, no, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, okay, that kind of that clicked for me finally. Okay, so, because um, I feel but like I heard gotta, you... you got to tell me, I, I really want to know because... I, you know, another thing that I've always loved is writing. You know, I've written like thousands and thousands of notebooks. Yeah. Like, I mean, thousands and thousands of poems and lyrics and writings and stuff. And I know that you uh, used to do this themed, you still do it, the themed 10 word, what is it, 10 word? It was eight word story. Eight eight word, word story. Eight word story. It's so, I've like talked to everyone, everyone like remembers it a little bit differently. Like, isn't it four words? It's almost like, I, I thought it was six. Even my fiance, she was like, "Wasn't it a twelve-word story?" <laughs> I was like, "No one knows," but I'm, I'm like, "It's like it sits in people's brain in like a yeah. very small place." Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Okay. So I wanted to get. Okay. Let's. Let, that's that's perfect transition. Okay. That's what I brought this guy here for. Okay. So for people who don't know, a long time ago, really wasn't that long ago, but uh, I I I did this thing on Twitter called hashtag eight word story. So basically, I would pick a topic, theme, photo, um, and then I would solicit people to to write eight word stories about however the prompt sort of inspired them. Um, and so I did this for a little bit. Uh, I okay, I'll tell you about the highlights before I tell you about the you know back end stuff. So, um, and I thought I was a great writer. You know, I was like, wow, you know, I, I'm I'm so good at this. Look at me. And then people like you know, Dr. Hoda would drop just dimes of brilliance. So we had this. I'm gonna I'm gonna just give. I I, I don't want to do the whole his whole you know eight word story discoreography here but he had one that that stopped me so the prompt this the, the week that i'm going to talk about was really we did the alliteration one um where basically everyone just we just did the whole alphabet and so every word of the alphabet people just like dropped an eight word story do you remember what you wrote for that one you don't remember i don't i don't no. let me remind you okay oh my so God. So he just a, a quick. This could either be great or horrible. So I <laughs> honestly, I was I still remember I was like walking into the endoscopy suite about to start my day, and I just like quickly check my phone, and I look. He chose the the letter W, and it goes. Wonder was where we wandered, while we were wilder. And I was like, huh. Like, I just had to, like, sit, I don't know, I just, I don't know why, like, I still remember that, um, but it, it just, like, it, it made me feel like, it was like an opening to, like, a, a biography or something, I don't know, okay, first of all, you know, you only got eight words to, to drop that there, can, would you put more meat on this, I mean, do you remember what headspace you were in when you dropped it, or was it just, like, you just dropped brilliance and it just, it was just easy for you, you know? You know, I wish, I wish I had like a surprise that like, yes, that's the opening chapter of my biography. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that but would be perfect. Actually, it was just, you know, I, most of me is spontaneous. You know, I saw your prompt and it, I thought about it for, I, I, I'll tell you what, I never share this stuff too much with anyone, but since you've asked me and it's a very interesting I, I can't believe you found those things and, and uh, mentioned it. Like most of me is constantly uh, wishing to do stuff like that, right? So it's always it's always on my mind. Like I want to be prompted by either a photo or something I see or somebody I talk to or you know any kind of interaction. It's just there's like a little engine or something that's always mm -hmm. there. Like you know the radar is on. So if I see you prompt that, which is an awesome thing you were doing, I remember each week. Um, you were doing these and I think it was on a Friday or Saturday Saturday yeah, it was like a Friday Friday yeah. I would like release yeah. what people did yeah and I saw it and I I try not to read others first because <laughs> I, if I read others first then I'm full of other ideas so you know yeah. uh, just go away for like a few minutes and then think about it and then just just drop it so yeah. you know that that's the there's a beauty in like the current energy you have you know like there's ideas you right. develop over years but then there's right. the stuff that you just think of, like, like right. you know, this is why, like, yeah. freestyle is so cool. It's just like, you know, like, it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I felt like uh, 
Yeah, I guess the maybe the beauty of it is that to me, I I mean, I don't know how to say like I don't I haven't known you for that. I only really this is the first time I'm even seeing you in real life, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just felt to me to be like something very core to you, or like it felt like I like those were eight words that only could have come for you and it from you and it was like a i don't i can't i can't really put words to it right now maybe maybe after this podcast is done i'll i'll like drop some some twitter <laughs> posts about it because uh, it, it just hit me in like a, a different sort of way um i mean i i take that as a great compliment you know thank you well <laughs> There it is. Um, okay, so okay, other things I'm interested in. I mean, I too, um, you know, I used to, I still do write uh, on the regular. You know, I like writing random stories. I remember the first time. I remember in like, um, I was in my senior year of high school. I took my first creative writing class um, with Dr. Jones, or I think it was Mr. Jones. I don't know, Dr. Jones, but and he just uh, he really pushed me to delve into myself and to, to put that writing on the page. Um, and so I, yeah, I would, I've, I don't know. I've written a lot of stories. I've just sort of kept to myself. Um, and then COVID hit and I felt like, you know, most of the world didn't know the stories that we were seeing in the hospital and what it felt like to walk into ICUs like again and again and again with patients getting sicker and sicker and like what that does to your, your psyche and how you start to see the world and, you know how, like, on one hand, you're getting called a hero, but on the other hand, like, yeah. you literally feel like, you know, <laughs> your psyche is just totally getting crushed. Um, and so that's why I made the podcast in the beginning, um, and uh, I I wanted to tell those stories, but I wanted to put it to music. So I really, yeah, the, the podcast for me and, like, you know, was just an, a, an awesome way to sort of express all that in, in one sort Dude, of didn't you Didn't you paint? Uh, I, so I, 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 a li- just a tad bit, but I'm, I don't, I don't think that's my calling. I really don't. <laughs> I don't yeah, think. <laughs> I feel like I saw a painting of yours that's in my, did you share a painting? I, so I do. So that's the thing. I really? do share a lot. So they inspire my writing, but I cannot, I can't. I, I think I tried as a kid and okay. I, I feel like if I put enough time into it, maybe something would happen that's that I could get some applause for, but I don't think I'd ever get an award for anything I would paint, you know? Can I tell you something, though? I, the one thing I, I've... Um, like, when you say that, I... The one thing I do feel really strongly about, and this is from somebody who spent a lot of time making stuff that didn't get any awards when I was growing up, and, you know, I grew up in Detroit, and, you know, the school... I wanted to go to, like, an art-heavy school. My parents wouldn't let me. Um, so they let me send me like an ordinary school or whatever. And, um, you know, I realized that, and, and now after creating for so many years, you actually just make it for yourself. And, right. and when you tell me that you do paintings that help you inspire your writing, help inspire your writing, perhaps that's the role of your, you know, like your visual art. Um, oh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, I don't think everybody has to have an appreciation for your stuff, you know, like, I actually, when I first started uh, typing these poems and stuff and posting them, like, first of all, there was no, 
there was no doctor doing that kind of stuff. You're right. And right. it was kind of like, wow, somebody's going to look at me and be like, what a weirdo. Like, it's just like, you know, I didn't want to come across as some like, you know, gimmicky kind of head in the clouds, you know, yeah. writing a self-help book kind of thing. Um, but then I realized that I'm actually just doing it for myself. I wasn't actually doing it for anyone. And I think what you're talking about is, is like for the painting is such an important thing that you do it for yourself to like inspire some of your writing or like your drawing or whatever. Like that's really awesome. I think that's actually peak creativity, like further than 5,000 people buying your artwork is like, right. yeah, you know, in terms of satisfaction, I don't think you'll ever exceed that satisfaction. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that is a, yeah, I mean, even as I said it, I was like, oh man, it's like, <laughs> so you just want to pursue something in order to get like the uh, accolades from like yeah. from others and what it's like, that doesn't really make sense. You know, that, that's it kind of slow. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really doesn't. So, I, I mean, you know, I, like I have friends who are musicians who have sold a lot of records. Hmm. Um, when me and them talk, it's like uh, what we're talking about is not, that's not the stuff that thrills them. I, hmm. I can see it. The stuff that thrills them is us finding some new music that neither of us have heard that we are like, whoa, did you hear this? And like, you know, this kind of appreciation of the, the actual form. It's not the, it's not how many records they sold or, you know, where they, like that, that's like the depth of, you know, True, true appreciation of creativity is not about the numbers and, you know, yeah, 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 it's very interesting. No, no, that, yeah, um, should we delve deeper there? I mean, I don't, like, I don't know, I guess, I guess the question is then, um, I guess, are there certain things, how, how do you, because I guess a, a lot of, I don't know what interview or who, I, where I listened to you first, but, you talked about, you know, um, how some things or entities, right, would sort of crush your creativity while others, you know, would help foster creativity. Yeah. So, so I guess the question is, one, like, um, what, what is stopping people from being creative? Uh, and then how do, we, how do we get people to, like, really mature their creativity or really let it blossom you know i always remember i i so overall i think that the world tries to suppress people's creativity overall i really think our education system is made to do that i think our education system is geared towards productivity you know which is creativity and productivity don't always go hand in hand nor should they you know like mm -hmm. when we're talking productivity we're talking about i read an awesome paper um I think actually somebody posted it on my timeline from India or, or as a response to something saying that the current education system in the world was geared towards creating factory workers. <laughs> and I, and I actually think that that may be very true mm -hmm. um, because you got to be there on time. You got, you know, like mm -hmm. hand in your thing at a certain day, you got to do this. I mean, that whole system of mindset is uncreative, right? Yeah. Like if somebody wants to wander off into the, the, the grass for a little while and then walk into late to class 10 minutes late, but they may have been inspired by that 10 minutes sitting in the grass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we grind down the creativity. So if the, the example I say all the time, and you tell me if this is true for you, um, this turned me off from books from when I was young, 
is because I used to read books and my mind is a little, you know, everybody's mind is a little different. I would read books and the interpretation of mine, um, when the teacher would say, hey, what did you think about, you know, chapter four or whatever, and I'd say what was on my mind. Often the teacher would say, well, I'm not sure that's, that's what the author was going for. Or I'm not sure that's the right way that character... To interpret that, yeah. Like, you know, in our real life, Chuma, if, if, if me and you are sitting in a chair and somebody walks into the room, you and I can have perfectly different interpretations of what yeah. that person is all about. And, you know, even if they tell us a story about their day, me and you can uh, interpret it differently. Yeah. To, to say that some a little kid is interpreting a book wrong is to trounce their way of thinking into a more uniform way that 20 kids can agree upon, you know, and right. that's destroying creativity. Right. No, no, yeah. that's, yeah, it, it is, yeah, I can, like, <laughs> I don't know, I still, like, remember instances yeah. like that in my own life, like, I don't know, I think, I, I, I'm i just reminded of, like, I, maybe everyone interpreted it like this, maybe this isn't profound at all, but um, I, I really liked Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, um, awesome book. Yeah, it's it's like phenomenal. I feel like there's no, um, I don't know. I don't I don't feel like I've ever seen any depiction of Frankenstein in movies <laughs> that has been able to actually, you know, recreate what she put in, into her book. Um, but I found it to be, you know, a really fascinating book, but also incredibly disturbing, um, and not because of Frankenstein. You know, like I I felt like it was the world. Yeah. that that really turned him into a, a monster you know and I, I feel like it was almost like a a sort of you know um she really i think what she was i don't know i just feel like what she was saying about the world and like how we interact with people who are other and others period yeah. you know was really that like you know we create the monsters that we have to fight right like We've yeah. created all of them by by the way that we we interact with them, the way we like put them down, and they just react, you know, to something we've done that the majority has done. Um, I remember when I like I wrote about that in like a piece when I was uh, when we read that in like high school and like <laughs> I had like spelling errors or something and the t I got like a D, <laughs> yeah. I got like a horrible grade on the paper, and I was like, well, you know, oh, I your guess. thoughts are like so good <laughs> and your spelling errors grind you down into like. Yeah. It's just, I, I barely scraped by with like a passing grade for that, and I was like, right. "So I guess this was bad," you know. Um, and then, like, you know, where's I, the substance in that? You know, like yeah, these days spelling doesn't even matter. You just get a <laughs> the spell check to do right. It. You just get Grammarly, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a short-sighted vision, you know. Like creativity demands your, um, you know urgent in the moment attention you know like it, my interpretation of art is a fairly easy one to me art is a documentation of a moment so whether it's the current moment or whether you've made it based upon a previous moment or thinking about a future moment whatever it is i think it's documenting a moment from one set of perspectives or sense sensory um you know either stimulus or or exit so it is documenting that moment. And, and every time I look at any piece of art, whether it's writing or um, visual or music or whatever, it is really in a moment. Um, and you can, the coolest thing about it is that somebody else can walk up to it and make it their own moment. You know, they, they create their own moment out of it. Um, and me and my wife were just talking about music the other day because we were talking about which art form would you, you know, 
think is the ultimate art form. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> For me, right. it was really easy. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the reason why, Chuma, is that I can hear a three-minute song that I heard 30 years ago, and it can absolutely transport me you right. know, to somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know of anything that's three minutes long that can transport me in that way with such power. Right. Um, I really don't. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I mean, you make a pretty good argument for, for music. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she reluctantly agreed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, so, like, I think you've convinced me and then just that, that quickly. Um, uh, okay, so... What was, was gonna... the question again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Um, I was going to ask you, what do you do when you get writer's block? But I kind of feel like I know what you're going to say. You well, what's, what, I would love to know what I'm going to say. It's, so, yeah, let me answer that question for you, okay? I yeah. think I think you would this say... This type of interview. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you would say, like, that... Well, I think you would say that there is no writer's block, right? Like, like the idea... Like, because... Like, the only, I guess, the only block that you would have, right, is your own inability to to capture the moment that you're in, right? Like, like one, I think we could always, I don't know, art is everywhere. Like everything, internet, like there is no difference between our experience and art, right? Like I, I think there is, there's no boundary between those two different things. Um, so I think you'd say one, writer's block is only your inability to write about what's happening okay two that like you can gain inspiration from everything and anyone around you right like that that just just get uncomfortable right and then whatever block that you had in order to like produce or you know be creative is then removed sure i don't even need to talk anymore but i mean you you said (laughs) you're like you you've tapped into my whole my whole thing so i should just go and and away for a little while and can you just tell them about i only answered that because you told me to okay that's the only reason why okay so we're we're gonna i mean i don't know do you have dr honor do you have do you have anything to add to your answer well okay so (laughs) uh, okay the thing you just said was was great um and i would just want to add to that that (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I'm quoting you, but it, but it was supposed to be predicting me. So I don't know what I'm exactly quoting. Um, but yeah, there is no writer's block. Okay, so here's, here's my thing. I never, ever, 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 ever force myself to make anything. So mm. no matter what. If I don't want to do it, I've accepted that, hey, I don't want to do it. If I don't feel like doing it or if I don't have any ideas, I say, hey, I have no ideas. Um, yeah. If I and, and the premise of that is that I operate under the term of I have a very complicated theory, which I don't want to discuss with you today, but it's called the Nabokov principle. So the Nabokov yeah. principle is a principle of overflow. All, maybe some other time we can talk about it. It's very right. complicated. Right. But I, I have it in a sensory way and I also have it in an expressive way. Um, I wait till things overflow rather than 
let out whatever I have is like some kind of partial thing. So if I, for example, I made, I've made a lot of music in my life, um, but I haven't made much music in the last seven years. Doesn't mean that I don't want to make it, but I haven't felt the, the electricity to actually mm-hmm. want to do it. When I did it in the past, I did it with such um, pressurized, you know, kind of overflow that, that there was nothing that was going to stop me from making music right. uh, ever. I was going to make, I used to stay up all night. I used to, you know, spend every spare minute I have working on it. Um, but until I feel that again, I can't get into the process um, until I have that desire to get it out like that. So when I, these days it's for writing. I just write a lot. Um, yeah. And I think it's just pouring. Actually, you know what? This is my favorite analogy of this. Oh, my gosh. So old, uh, like I love like really raw old blues. Um, there's like blues singers called Junior Kimbrough um, and Howlin' Wolf. And when you listen to them, and Iggy Pop, who is a punk, you know, he was like one of the earliest punks in like the late 60s. I actually heard an interview by Iggy Pop talking about these blues singers um, from Chicago and from the South uh, in the 50s and 60s. He said he would go to see them play live, like Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf was amazing. Um, and he would go to see them live, and he said the music was pouring out of them, you know. And this concept of, he said they weren't, like, singing the song. They were, like, literally just pouring it out of themselves. Uh, that feeling of, I've never forgotten this idea of pouring it out, like, letting it just pour out. Like, it was like it was falling off of them. It wasn't like they were pushing it out or they were, you know, organizing it out. It was just flowing out. Um, and I and I love this. I love this idea. I think it's the center of the way I see making anything. You know, when it needs to pour out, it's going to feel like really satisfying to us. You don't care that much about you know the external reactions or the the noise in the outside world telling you not to do it this way, not to do it that way. It just comes out. So anyway, I don't. I could go on about this forever. I'm really glad. I'm really glad I asked you to expand. <clears throat> it really expound on uh, the points that I had tried to make earlier because. That yeah, was no, the, I that love was what the... you said. I just had to add that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why you're here. Uh, okay, so um, like all good things, uh, they begin and must come to an end. So, can you tell? Okay, for, are there any closing? thoughts that we have not gotten to that you'd like to, to drop on us before I tell people how they can act, continue to access your thoughts, your writing, and your, your photography? <laughs> no, this has been awesome, Jim. I could probably talk for hours with you about this. Um, the one thing I do always want to say is because I just worry um, about our friends and colleagues in, in medicine in particular is that I feel that um, people have a tendency to confine themselves into very specific definitions of what they can be, what can they cannot be, you know, what they can show, what they can talk about. And there's no obligation here. There's no mandate. Um, I think that me being myself has made me the best physician that I can be. You know, hmm. I mean, you and I both know, like, we spend our days working on patient care and doing, you know, my whole day today was spent from the morning till now before this interview, all of it was spent on patient care. Mm-hmm. I have no mandate to finish that and then only talk to you about medicine 
or only talk to uh, somebody else about medicine or, you know, there's no mandate for that. I don't understand where this rule came from, where people cannot explore the world together. Now, I actually love to talk to, you know, doctors like you who are exploring other ideas because, you know, we're people who are fairly considerate. We've thought about things. We are thinking people a lot of the times. I just feel sad that such bright and interesting minds feel that they're confined to a space and they cannot be free to like explore other things together. I mean, you can even do it together with your friends and colleagues, but um, we had a, we had a, um, just really quickly at our institution, we had, uh, you know, a, um, a, a program to get people talking a little bit more about mm -hmm. their experiences, their life experiences, their, you know, all different types of people, all from different backgrounds. We, my idea was to have a storytelling uh, who oh. in the hospital does storytelling in the department? <laughs> you know, like, when have you ever heard of this? Right, it's right. Unheard of. It's crazy to me. There's, like, people from all over the world. Nobody tells any stories. Nobody talks about anything. Occasionally, you walk into and you learn little tidbits, you know, like, oh, yeah, I grew up here and I traveled here. But we actually did storytelling where people talked about their past, and I thought it was awesome. You yeah. know, like, yeah, three or four people, you know, spent 10 minutes talking about their past and how... It was the the topic was like how your background influenced how you felt, you know, like yeah. uh, feel in the uh, you know working and, and living here, and I just think it was such a cool open ended way of of talking, and I I wish there was more of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I we have I know we're so tight on time here, but I'll, I'll just do a, a mini plug because the the person who taught me or even introduced the idea of storytelling to me was none other than the only Kimberly Manning. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, she's phenomenal. I, people don't know, she's a, an incredible physician um, at Great Memorial Hospital, and um, she actually brought the idea of uh, bite-sized teaching, so we would do beast modes, and it was primarily clinical, and you'd get up, on, like, get up on stage and talk for maybe like 10, 15 minutes about medical stuff, you know, like hyperlipidemia and liver cirrhosis or something. Um, yeah. But every once in a while, we would do, like, the storytelling uh, beast modes. Um, and so you would just talk about either, like, a patient experience you had. I talked about, you know, what was happening um, uh, with the shootings, you know, the Atlanta shooting, like, from the police yeah. department in, in Atlanta. Um, and, and they're always just really incredible um, um, powerful stories. So I just wanted to – I could not mention – I could not not mention that because it was uh, – a really formative in the way that I, I, I try to speak to people and even in my like, I don't know, just in my life in general, it, it really sort of changed the way I, I looked at it. I love her. I love the way she tells stories. I just think yeah. it's so real. And the yeah. more, re you know, I, something you can tell, we have, mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I can just keep <laughs> talking with you, but I feel that people have this ability to tell when things are really real or mm -hmm. if they're being fluffed up with a bunch of you know, filler. Yeah. And whenever I read her writing, to me, it feels like it's the real deal yeah. kind of conversational kind of, you know, storytelling. Right. Yeah. It's really great. No, it's good. It's really good. Um, okay. So how can people continue to, to tap into you and get access to your, your brilliance? Okay. Well, my home address is... <laughs> <laughs> Get your pens and papers ready. Okay. 
Um, no, but really, okay. So social media wise, how do we? How do we? What do you want it? Yeah, you tell us. I have an Instagram page, but it's just street photography. So okay, okay. And it's with captions which make no sense. So you probably won't want to go there unless you want to see photos. If you have writer's block, find his IG page. Um, yeah. Okay, what is what is the uh, how do what is it? What's the what's the name it's of that? Syed Forever. Syed. Oh wow! <laughs> is it really? I think so. Oh okay. <laughs> okay uh, I have to pick something fast because all the sides were taken. So. <laughs> right, they were dwindling at the moment. Okay. And then and my Twitter page is um, my Twitter page is actually probably the most active these days, and I it's just become this place where I can. You know, it's like a stream of consciousness uh, right. in the morning and, and in the day. So I've, I curate a, you know, I, I, I love seeing, you know, certain photos and certain words that people write, certain things that inspire, anything that inspires me goes there. And it's my, my user handle is not easy to remember, but I, it is for me, but it's probably not for um, zero one, my initials are STH and then zero two. So I'm somewhere between zero one and zero two. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, uh, Syed, Dr. Hoda, uh, this conversation has been excellent. Um, I thank you for giving me your time. And I, I think we're, I think we're signing off with a silent doc. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that was great. Thanks so much for having me too. Excellent. Also in New York. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're me and him are in a constant battle of publicity. So right. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. Um, yeah. We get each other's envelopes. We get his kid lost some papers and they were sent to me, and it's like wow. it's a total mess. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, You're not the first. Okay, good, good. Uh, wow, so that totally disrupts the beginning part of what I had, but that's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um, so let me just confirm that. Because uh, it, it says it, it says that you, that, uh, you are a professor of pathology at Cornell University. Incorrect. Incorrect. That's, so maybe I should just, should I just, we, should, we could just cold open it? And then, and then just like kick it to you for introductions because I feel like I don't want to waste time trying to get you to tell me so I can tell people about you. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so let's just, yeah, we could just, let's just, let's just get to it um, because we don't have time to waste. All right. Okay, so the, I'm a big communication guy. Oh, really? And I know that like if I see something, in some, like it'll, it will change how I conduct the interview, whether or not okay. I can see you or not. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the only thing. But I don't mind you doing other stuff while I'm blathering or blithering on. That is totally I, fine. I am the kind of person who looks away a lot. And, that's totally you know, fine. So, so don't that think is, that I hate you or anything. I'm just. Yes. Uh, no, 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 no. I do the same thing. It, it, okay. It's very difficult for me to look forward and think at the same time. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, okay, so uh, without further ado, we're going to try to start the show.